as they were singing, I, I looked around and I noticed it was that's just the Hill family. And uh, what a blessing it is. And I just was remembering um, Shoko and when uh, her pregnancies were not easy pregnancies. And one after another, um, she would get deathly sick. But she she and Bobby uh, couldn't figure out how it was happening. And they just <laughs> no, I think they knew, but um, they, they persevered. And and then I thought about Emily and Olivia and Olivia had a hard time making it out of the hospital. And here they are. I mean, look at the lives that God has blessed us with. We should never take a single life for granted. Um, God has a plan for these babies lives that are growing into godly young men and women. Thank you, Lord, for that. We're so, so blessed. Well, good morning, and I hope that your Thanksgiving meal and really your Thanksgiving week was as enjoyable as mine was. Um, I've, we were able to have a few families over to join us for Thanksgiving, and I have discovered that the more people you invite to your Thanksgiving meal, the better you eat. Because they always bring something with them, and it's always good. But we enjoyed our Thanksgiving, and of course... Uh, Just the blessing of being together as family is huge. And I really appreciate being able to gather as family, still having that around us. Uh, A man from Phoenix, Arizona, would agree about the importance of family for Thanksgiving. The man from Phoenix, Arizona, called his son in New York City the day before Thanksgiving. And he said, son, I hate to ruin your day. But I just got to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. I just cannot take it any longer. It's been 45 years of marriage and I am of misery and I am sick of it. And I'm really even sick of talking about it. So I'm going to hang up and I want you just to call your sister and tell her about it. He's like, Dad, what are you talking about? What? And the phone clicks. So the brother frantically calls the sister. And tells her about the situation and she explodes. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute. This can't be happening. Don't do anything. Let me let me hang up and call dad real quick. And so they hang up the phone and she calls Phoenix and immediately screams at her father. Dad, you are not getting a divorce. I don't care what you say. You just stay there. Don't do anything. Don't make any rash decisions. I'm going to call my brother back as soon as I hang up and we will both be there tomorrow to talk this thing out. Don't do a single thing. Do you hear me? And she hangs up the phone. And so the father in Phoenix walks out into the living room and says, honey, I've got good news. Both the kids will be here for Thanksgiving tomorrow. And they're paying their own way. Feasting is biblical. (laughs) Feasting is biblical, as I thought about it for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, granted, I can't say that habitually overeating is biblical, but feasting is biblical. It is a symbol of the abundant provision of God. And we are so overly well provided for in our day and age. And feasting is a sign of God's goodness. It's a sign of his righteousness. And just so you know, feasting is in your future if you are a believer, because we will feast at the wedding supper 
of the Lamb. So feasting is good. Um, and I am assuming that you all enjoyed your feast and also your turkey. I'm assuming that if I had to guess, about 88% of you had turkey for this Thanksgiving. The reason I would guess that is because 88% of Americans surveyed by the National Turkey Federation eat turkey on Thanksgiving. 46 million turkeys are eaten each Thanksgiving. Then it drops, so just a little under 50%. Then it drops at Christmas, 22 million on Christmas, and 19 million turkeys on Easter. Not a good time to be a turkey. In 2011, 736 million pounds of turkey were consumed in the United States. So we are doing our job, and we are doing it very, very well. Well, what I want to do this morning is spend a few minutes in God's Word to get an idea of what thanking God looks like. We, we have our American tradition of thanksgiving, and it's a good one, and it's based on Christian values. It's based on thanks being offered up to the one and only true God. But the Bible also has teachings about thanksgiving aimed primarily at believers. And so I'll give a message, and then we will have celebrated baptism. And then while we're getting ready for that, um, we'll light the Advent candle and then have a few minutes for people to give testimony. Those that have uh, contacted me and let me know that they would like to share something. The text for this morning is in Luke 17, 11 through 19. It's Luke 17, 11 through 19. And I'm just going to jump right in and begin. <clears throat> On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Got to multitask a little bit here. and Turn that water off. Lest we have another flood. It's said that gratitude is a very scarce trait. Hard to find. It's also said that this generation has had more than any other generation before it, and yet is less grateful. Which means that though we have more things, we swim in material abundance. Apparently, it's not affecting our hearts because it's not making us any more happy. It's not making us any more grateful. It seems that one way or another, no matter how much we have, we still swim through life feeling somewhat slighted, feeling like we're missing out. Well, there are many things that could be explored in this particular passage, but I think 
Jesus asks three wise questions that guides us, guides our thinking and what to do with this. And I think if you were to summarize these questions, what he's getting at, the bottom line would be he's asking a question. Can an ungrateful believer, can an ungrateful Christian exist? Or is thankless, is a thankless Christian a logical contradiction? He's asking probing questions here with this scenario. Well, the narrative begins uh, with a scene that I think is about as depressing as as you can get. It's not the, it's not a very graceful opening scene onto the scene as Jesus is traveling come ten lepers. So these are these are ten men that have this terrible disease of leprosy. And it is it is a disease that can be um, contagious. And so by law, they are cast out of society. And so just out of pure survival and loneliness, they wind up uh, huddling together, doing life together because they can't do life with clean people. And it's a terrible disease. It's a disease where your body literally begins decay while you're still alive, while you're still walking and and your skin falls off. And, of course, you lose feeling, you lose touch. And so you harm yourself because you can't feel if something's hurting you. And and digits can just drop off and limbs can drop off ears and noses. And your, your skin is just your body is is decaying. It's a terrible, terrible Disease, you can lose your eyesight. And even if your family wanted to come, your loved ones wanted to come and comfort you, they really can't. It's just hard. It's awkward because you wouldn't want them to come down with this terrible disease and they wouldn't want to come down with it. And so you're just kind of stuck and you're out there and you're by yourself and you're living miserably and you're dying miserably. You basically look like you climbed out of the tomb because you had to wear uh Torn claws, you were wrapped almost like a mummy, mummy to try to hold yourself together the best you could. They had to even live sometimes with part of their faces wrapped with the cloth at their mouth to keep the, I guess, the airborne germs was the thinking of the day away. Leviticus 13, this is a part of law 45 through 30, uh, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So not only is he sick, he's he's sick and he's alone. That perhaps maybe he can find a fellow leprous person to keep him company. The point of this opening scene is that these men are very bad off, living miserably. They're going to die miserably at this point. And even though they look like monsters, basically, on the outside, the inside's not sick. The inside's real. They still want to be loved. They still have longings and desires and likes and dislikes. They're still thinking about their families and their loved ones. They want to do life, but their bodies are rotting away. So they're desperate. And they do about the only thing they can do. They hear about Jesus and they cry out for mercy. Mercy, that thing that enters into the world when nothing else works, when the material things work. 
The things that we can see and feel and touch with our eyes, they don't work. And so they do. The only thing they know to do, they cry out for mercy. Is there anything out there that can break through this terrible predicament that I'm in and give me some kind of hope? Do I have a hope for life? And they cry out, the text says, with a loud voice. It's not whispering. They're desperate. They want Jesus' attention. So they cry out from a distance. Of course, they're not allowed to get close. In Luke 5, when a leper, single leper comes to Jesus, he cries out for mercy. He walks up to him. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet and he asks for mercy. And in that case, Jesus touches him and he is cleansed. He's healed. And in this case, Jesus does not say, come, come to me. He doesn't lay hands on anybody. He shouts from a distance. He keeps his distance and he shouts to them, present yourselves to the priests. Now, that's a strange answer. I'm guessing it may have took them, taken them by surprise, too. Because Jesus is a man of great compassion, yet he kept his distance. And also that answer is strange because anybody that was familiar with the ways of the day knows that to say present yourself to the priest, what that means or when you do that is when you think you're healed, when you think the disease left you, if it does. The priests were played doctor sometimes and you came to them and they would pronounce you as unclean. Yes, you have this leprosy. And then when you thought maybe you didn't have it anymore and there were signs of that, you go and you present yourself to the priest, hoping he will pronounce you as clean so that you can get back to your life and get back inside the camp in society. Jesus says, present yourself to the priests while yet they are still diseased. So there's an implication here. The implication is that the decision that they have to make, whether or not they're going to make the trip to the priests, is are they going to have faith? Jesus is calling out faith. His his answer is requiring faith on that on their part before you're healed. I want you to make the trip, begin to make the trip. Of course, the idea is that. Um, If they have the faith on the way before they get there and it's not said, but you'll be healed. They have to wrestle with that. Wasn't a really easy, wasn't that easy of a decision to make in one sense, because remember, these are diseased people. Uh, They they may not even have all their toes or their their whole feet may not be there. They, They may be missing limbs. They might have to carry themselves there, limp there. It's a great sacrifice when you have that, depending what level it is on, to even go anywhere. It's painful. It's miserable. I don't know how close or far they were from the temple, but Jesus says, go to it and present yourselves. To the priests. And so perhaps limping, perhaps carrying one another, they got to visualize that. It's, it takes a tremendous amount of effort, I guess, and personal sacrifice, the point is. But Jesus is commanding faith on their part. They have to decide am I going to do this or is it just going to be a wasted trip? What if I get there? What if it, we, we, we sweat our way there, we crawl our way there, and nothing happens? Well, they make the decision. Fortunately, I guess perhaps they assume, you know, what else? What do we have to lose? So what if we make the trip and nothing happens? What do we have to lose? We're no worse. But it was a good decision that they made. 
to obey Jesus by faith, because as they were making this trip, and I don't know if it was after a few minutes, a few steps, maybe they they traveled for hours. Again, I don't know. But somewhere along the way, something funny started happening to them, maybe tingling sensations. And they begin to feel something in their own bodies, skin growing back, perhaps limbs or digits growing back, perhaps eyesight coming back. And not only do they feel it themselves, but they see it happening to each other with their own eyes. Their leprous disease friends are becoming whole again, new again. It's a mass healing. We hear all about mass murders today. Well, this is a mass healing done by Christ. Ten at a time. And they are overcome with joy. I mean, you can imagine if this was you dancing a jig, enjoying their their new abilities. They're they're not in pain. They're they're not monsters anymore. They have fresh faces and senses. It's wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful. They're pumped. They're excited. And then they continue their journey on to the priest because that's the final thing in order to be officially pronounced whole and 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 back into society you have to go to the priest period and so that's what they do they go back and make their way to the priest that is all but one the oddball out the samaritan and that's a sermon in of itself that jesus wants to make it clear about this was a foreigner by the way Well, this one, he's excited too, just as excited as the others, but he goes in the opposite direction. He takes his new whole body back to Christ. And with just gratitude bubbling out of him, yes, still the same loud voice that moments before cried out for mercy, he received the mercy. And now in loud voices, he's offering praise and thanks to God. And he, he comes to Christ and he throws himself at his feet. He's on his face and he's just thanking him and praising God for this healing. We don't often get to know what is in Jesus's head. And so it's such a treat to be able to read the story and actually know what Jesus is thinking about what just took place. So many times we're left to speculate. And Jesus's response were three wise questions. This is what he thinks about what just took place. This is not a parable. This is a real event. We're not all ten. Cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return praise but this foreigner? So, with these questions, we understand that uh, it's unsettling to him. There's, there's an air of disappointment Something should have happened. And based on the circumstances, based on the mercy that was given, something should have happened and it didn't completely happen. The idea is that obviously all ten, not just one. All ten should have been engaged in the exact same thing as this one foreigner. What could have possibly gone wrong? Something is wrong with this picture Jesus is saying. This isn't right. That's the teaching. Now, I know we've got to be careful here and not 
pretend we know what was going on in the other nine's heads, judge their hearts and their motives, although Jesus does. And the bottom line is something isn't right with them. They have failed in some kind of way. And I don't know exactly what happened um, with them. I don't know their level of faith or excitement. Uh, some people say, well, they were just obeying the Lord. Yeah, they did obey Jesus. They did go to the priest. But then again, that could have been self-motivated because that's what you had to do if you're whole. I mean, that's that's the final bill of health. So that could have been a selfish motivation. We we really don't know. But here, here's what I think Jesus is getting at. In spite of the joy and the excitement of becoming whole, that there's something wrong with their hearts, the, the nine because for whatever reason that they, they were so enamored with their newness, they were so enamored and excited about their health that they neglected to be enamored with the God that gave them that health, with the God that healed them, with the God that gave them practically a new life. They get all caught up in this and the excitement of, of the newness and, and they just go on with their lives. When I think what Jesus obviously is saying, no, to go on with your life at this point is for you to come to me. To bow at the feet of royalty, to bow at the feet of kingship. And use your voice to utter praise and thanksgiving. And so you get the impression, especially as I would think of myself in that position, vague happiness is not enough. Dancing a jig when God has done something great in our lives is not enough. Feeling good about the blessings of God. It shows that God was not at the center of their happiness. God was not at the center of their gratitude. They were uh, they were ungrateful. The leprosy of a lack of faith, the leprosy of a lack of gratitude was not healed in their hearts, just the physical. It turns out that there's a sad condition there. But the guy that went back, that's different. The foreigner that went back. Verse 19, he says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, which literally means your faith has saved you. This foreigner was saved, not just physically, but spiritually. His faith was the means of his cure and his salvation. So for him, the fatal moral Failure of the leprosy of the heart, of unbelief and of being ungrateful, that fell away too. And that was renewed. And now it's fresh and new. And here is one that is living for Christ, having his moral sickness removed for him. So the one that returned was the one that saved. See, saving faith does what? It praises God. Saving faith has God at the center. Saving faith builds And I would say cannot help but to build a heart of gratitude. So no one is saved by being pleasant or happy alone. We could have the best disposition in the world. And be a great dancer of joy. And not be healed in the heart. So true faith. 
results in truly, profoundly grateful hearts. Praise to God is at the heart of an authentic faith. Now, for the sake of time, I had some scriptures here, but I'm not going to share them with you. But suffice it to say that in the New Testament, the praise and the gratitude is always to God through Christ. I mean, just almost in every epistle, the Apostle Paul it's always through Christ. Um, the, the praise, the gratitude is through Christ and it's offered to God. So that is the proper way. People of faith, real faith, praise God for what he has done in Jesus, through Jesus, because that's how we're blessed. It's, it's not just by God the Father, it's by God the Son. And so the praise goes to the instrument of blessing Saving faith doesn't vaguely give glory to God, but it just gives continual play, praise to God through Christ. I've said it before. I love our prayer times in the morning because it just it encourages me so much. And, you know, uh, in light of this message, as people were praying this morning in the pastor's study, I did, every time I heard the word Christ and it was a lot. I was just like, man. That's what it's all about. It's not just thanks for the good feelings that we're going to get at church and the good music and, and, and the fellowship. Thank you for Christ through whom I am saved. And that's why we're all here in the first place. Praise in the proper way, in the proper place is so edifying. And then even in Revelation, it's all about through Christ when the elders fall, they lay their crowns and people are just falling at the foot of the throne and all of that praise to God is offered through the Lamb of God because he is the source of that blessing. So they're praising God because of Christ. Thanksgiving for the Christian absolutely has to be Christ centered. Christocentric. To be ungrateful could be a sign of an inauthentic faith. To be ungrateful could be a sign that perhaps we are not truly saved. Romans 12, 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. He's talking about unsaved people that they, they have an awareness of God, but it's not a saving faith. The way that they know it's not a saving faith is because they could care less about him. They're not praising him and they're not thanking him, which... From the for the things that are so obviously from him. And then we have that verse in Second Timothy three, one through five, and we talk a lot about the last days these days. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And he goes on with a litany of unholiness and disobedience and so forth, recklessness, lack of self-control, lovers of self. One of the signs of the end times is ungrateful. Verse 2. People that are ungrateful. Because they don't have God. Why else would we be an ungrateful people? It has to be because we don't have God or we don't have a sincere faith because those that understand him and are saved and know him, they have a true faith. And what are they going to do? They're going to praise their Lord and their 
Savior continually. So the world wants to tell us how much we don't have, how much we're missing out on. There's so much more out there. Never be content. Don't be settled. Go after more and don't fall for that. That's not biblical. You know, we hear a lot about depression these days. And in fact, it is of epidemic proportions. Depression. And yet one of the best antidotes for depression is simple gratitude. Because if you wake up every morning with gratitude in your heart and you are seeing that you are a blessed individual and that God is, is bringing goodness into your life and he's sanctifying you, he's saving you, he's pointing you in the direction of the eternal things that really matter. There's not a lot of room in there for self-pity. It's very difficult to be truly depressed and yet sincerely, truly thankful at the same time. And I know this is true because it is true in my life as well. So gratitude aimed specifically at Christ is the natural outworking of a sincere faith. It, it just falls at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, never really gets back up. This falls at the feet of Jesus because he's been so good and merciful. And just sincere faith just kind of stays there and continually absorbs the grace and the mercy and puts forth praise and gratitude. Taking God for granted is a sin. And Christ can heal the moral leprosy of a heart gone astray. The moral leprosy of unbelief, of blindness to the things of God. The moral leprosy of not knowing God, it can cleanse us. And that comes by grace through faith that God gives us. And he can make us clean. And we need to be clean. Because what will happen in the end time, as, yes, already I wind down, uh, surprisingly, another blessing to be grateful for. Don't believe it. In the end times, we will all, everybody in this room, no one will be spared. We will face the judge, the righteous. He's perfectly righteous and just. So the pronouncement he makes upon us, we deserve it wholeheartedly. And in essence, he's going, as we face him, he's going to look at us. And, of course, he's already judged us, every little fiber of our being. And we're either, either going to be pronounced clean or unclean. Clean on the basis of our faith through the grace of salvation through Christ. Or unclean because we have continued in our unbelief. And we have ignored the advances of God and the promptings of God. In this life and chosen to love ourselves. And so in essence, you're going to hear the same thing. Unclean, unclean. And we are cast outside the camp to live as forever as diseased. Or those that are truly of the faith will experience a wholeness that we have never experienced before. It's a not of this world wholeness. It's a not of this world emotion. It's a surreal emotion. Of bliss and blessing. And it culminates in that we will fall before the throne and take the greatest joy in continually 
offering praise and gratitude to our Lord and Savior, the King of the universe. It will be a natural outflowing as it should be now. Make sure your belief is real. Make sure your faith is sincere. And if it is, it will not hesitate to give thanks to Jesus. What are you grateful for this morning? Or, as I queried at the beginning, can an ungrateful Christian even exist as such a thing? Maybe next year when we have our share service, I'll get so many calls. Say, I'm sorry, I can't fit you in. But you can share that the following Sunday during our praise time. What are we grateful for? We close with this. Someone said, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the wife who says hot dogs for dinner tonight because she's home with me and not out with somebody else. I'm thankful for the husband who is on the sofa being a couch potato because he is home with me and not out at the bars. For the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because it means she's at home, not on the streets. For the taxes I pay because it means I am employed. For the mess to clean after a party because it means I have been surrounded by friends. For the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have eaten well. For my shadow that watches me work because it means I am out in the sunshine. For a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. For all the complaining I hear about the government because it means we have freedom of speech. For the parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking and I've been blessed with transportation. For my huge heating bill because it means I'm warm. For the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means I can hear. For the pile of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. For weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day. Because it means I have been capable of working hard. And even lastly, for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours. Because it means I am alive. What are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for the celebration of Advent. Where we prepare our hearts for the king who has already come, but we relive it and we re-celebrate it every year. And I am thankful for the newness of life and the symbolism that baptism shows us and reveals to us. That is the symbol that Christ still cleanses and makes whole. And I am grateful for warm water in which to baptize and for others to be Baptized. Well, may God bless the preaching of his word.